it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Bruce, news editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry, and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is, and see what we can learn from them. And this week, we meet Dylan Firth, Executive Director of the Brewers Association of New Zealand. There is always a lot of discussion amongst brewers at the smaller end of the market about things like independence and the market dominance of the large brewers. But at the same time, there are a great many issues that affect all brewers. As we have discussed on this podcast recently, policy development and industry advocacy are incredibly time-consuming for the bodies that represent the industry, and I was interested in speaking with Dylan about what the role of the association that represents the interests of the largest brewers in New Zealand is, and where some of these overlaps are. It's a great chat and one about the things in this industry that unite us rather than divide us, and I hope you enjoy it. Dylan Firth, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. G'day, Matt. But good to see you. It's, uh, I, I wish we uh, were having a beer um, when we have these conversations, but I did get to have a chance to have a beer in uh, in Wellington with you, so uh, we, we, which was great. Yeah, it was great to catch up, see you in person, um, and, and also see you down in Nelson during the hop harvest. Uh, it was good fun. <laughs> it was nice. Uh, and, and again, it, it's, it's one of those experiences that you know, walking in amongst the hop fields really does change your view of beer as being something that is just a commodity that is always available it really does bring us back to it being very much an agricultural product yeah i think we we often forget the inputs that go with it um you know wine tells a great story about the grapes and the you know and the terroir and things like that and and while brewers have a, a real connection to place in terms of where their brewery is, that we often forget about um, the quality of inputs uh, and and having some really good product in, in places like Australia and New Zealand, with, especially with our hops, I think it's something we should be proud of and probably talk more about. We might come back to that a little bit because that really is talking about some of the opportunities that beer has. But let, let's step back and just introduce you to our listeners who are, you know, we do have a strong audience in New Zealand who probably know you, but a lot of the Australian brewers probably don't know uh, who Dylan Firth is. So give us the uh, elevator pitch for Dylan Firth. Yeah, sure. So uh, Dylan Firth, uh, I'm the executive director of the Brewers Association. Um, uh, Kind of my role is to work with our members, which um, consist of probably the larger breweries uh, in New Zealand, such as Lion and DB and uh, their subsidiaries. Um, You know, a lot of the work we do, you'll be familiar with um, other organisations too. Uh, There's a Brewers uh, Association in Aussie, um, and you know we've all got the guild over here, and also the IBA in Australia. And I guess what what we're all trying to achieve, in, in many ways, is something similar, and that's um, to promote the product, uh, to make sure there's a, a good operating environment in which the um, you know the producers and I guess the consumers as well can enjoy it. Um, and you know, and ensure we keep an eye on some of that regulation that comes through, and make sure it's fair and reasonable uh, if there are changes. Um, and and that's a, a lot of what I do in my role is kind of work with government agencies. Uh, the regulators, um, kind of customs and excise and, and those spaces. And, and I think that's, that's stuff that a lot of people 
um, maybe not be in the sector don't see um, and people who are in the sector often get frustrated with because they're, they're busy making an awesome product um, and don't necessarily have the time um, necessary to do some of the stuff we get to do so I think that I think that's really our important role sits. Which is one of those and again I'm I'll come back to some of the policy and you know, legislation that, that you work in but I'm always fascinated in how people come to their jobs, particularly in this industry. And you know, looking at your LinkedIn profile, you're a planning technician. So I understand you've got a background in uh, you know, planning. What was your qualification? Yeah, so I, I actually didn't study town planning. I, I was in, I'm kind of in commerce and economics and, and that's my background. I, I've got a strong okay. um, focus on kind of tourism and, and, and the hospitality sector within that commerce. Um, uh, from there, I went into town planning and dealing with the Resource Management Act in, in New Zealand, and uh, it's a pretty complex um, space to work in and, and fairly enjoyable, um, but it, it is pretty legalistic, and I, I did get a bit frustrated with it. So I, I, I turned back and, and looked into my hospitality and tourism background and, and went, well, where, where can we go? I ended up working for the um, Hospitality Association of New Zealand uh, for a number of years. Uh, working with their members um, from day-to-day issues around employment, um, liquor licensing and uh, anything under the sun really, uh, advocating on their behalf uh, and then moving into a policy role with them and, and doing quite a lot more advocacy work and writing all the submissions. So um, I, quite, I quite like the detail and the technical side of things and, and enjoy a bit of a, um, a good a good fight really when, when, there, when there's um, I think some good arguments to be made. So uh, and this role came up and I thought, you know, there's some, some really interesting things on the horizon for the brewing sector in New Zealand. Um, and, and that includes working with the hospital guys because it's such an important channel to market for, for many of the breweries uh, in this country. Um, and, and so I thought, you know, that there's some elements there that we can support and, and do that stuff. And, and, you know, there's things I wanted to achieve. So, uh, yeah, that's how I kind of fell into this role. It's an interesting lead into what you now do because town planning legislation is incredibly complex and uh, very hard to understand. And having renovated a house with uh, a, a legal background of sorts, but then also being re- reasonably intelligent, just trying to navigate the complex field of town planning legislation, I, I would imagine that it would be fairly good standing for the very arcane alcohol legislation that you have to deal with, you know, and, and the policy development that you have to deal with through the Brewers Association. Yeah, I, I, it's the timing's been really interesting. So when I started working for the Hospitality Association um, and coming away from planning, uh, which, as you say, is pretty pretty complicated and a lot of layers to it. So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's the national level stuff with the Resource Management Act, and then you've kind of got district plans in your local authorities, and they, they overlap, and there's, there's a whole lot of interplays between them. Um, and I guess with licensing in New Zealand, it's a similar thing. So the, the um, Sale and Supply of Alcohol Act was introduced in uh, 2012 and came into effect in 2013. So at that time was when I, I was kind of getting into, back into the hospital space and working with all these liquor licensing bodies that were um, newly regulated under the Act. So there was a national legislation and then the ability for um, regional councils and local councils to come up with you know, and local alcohol policies. So you're getting these different layers again. So there's a, definitely similarities between the two. 
Uh, and then the interplay of, of how licensing works in just general. It's you know it's a similar thing. You're applying for something. Uh, you have to show your suitability. You have to show that you know tick those certain boxes and, and navigate it. For a lot of people getting into the business who have a passion for brewing or, or just a passion for hospo, uh, they might not have come from an area where they understand some of those things. And I think, uh, while not necessarily in this role, but in previous roles, it, it's been important to help people navigate it because um, you know we all want to do the best for our, our industry. But um, like anything, there's those regulatory barriers that we've got to get through and then understand and then navigate while we operate. You know, it, it, it is hard to understand the interlocking layers of regulation on something like alcohol labeling um yeah. or uh, yeah we recently saw it with the food standards um there was a you know a, a large um craft brewery in australia got into trouble because it made an irish cream stout and had lactose in but then they didn't put the allergen of milk um and you know that they had a voluntary withdrawal um and when we posted it the level of discussion amongst brewers about whether you do or don't need to um, list uh, lactose. And uh, even when I went to look at the uh, Fasan's regulation, it didn't actually talk about lactose, it talked about milk. And, you know, is there a difference between lactose and milk? And then I went back to the brewery and they sort of said, well, we were told we we're above the threshold. And then you go back to Fasan's and there was no threshold. And it turns out that, you know, it, it, it's an incredibly complex world that we work in. Um, and as you just said, a lot of people come to it just wanting to make beer and they don't appreciate the regulatory environment that they automatically inhabit. Yeah, and I, I think the difficulty, I think it's any environment and especially in one where you're getting lots of innovation uh, and people pushing boundaries and trying new things. Um, you know, there's a fairly strict um, framework in terms of what beer is described as in the food code. Um, so there's things we can't really do here, right? Um, but in other jurisdictions you can. So in a way that, that potentially could prevent some innovation. But like anything, innovation you know goes in interesting directions and, and the regulation might have to catch up. Uh, and the fact that you, know, you, you have to go through the process of changing the food code, put an application, uh, and it can take you know six months to a year to put that application together, to get it good enough, pay the fees, get through it. You know by that time the trend might have changed, and you're not interested in making that product anymore. Um, so often people might fly under the radar a little bit, but uh, you know when, as you say, some people get to scale and a bit larger, it comes to the attention. So there's all those uh, intricacies at play as well. But that is also occurring in an environment that I note is increasingly, um, you know without simplifying it, anti-alcohol. There is a real strengthening of a lobby that sees absolutely no social good in alcohol as a product, but then also nothing but sinister motives in businesses that operate in that space. And you know something that is potentially lack of sophistication is actually often portrayed as a sinister, um, you know, uh, I've seen it grooming of children when you know cartoons are used on a can or, or or things like that. As an industry, do we need to take more note of the corporate social responsibility and also the 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 landscape, the social landscape that we're operating in? Yeah, I think it's important always to acknowledge that there is, you know, there's those that aren't big fans of the sector. Uh, they have very, you know, they'll have a very different view of, of what we might have with, with it, of ourselves. Um, 
And then there's some realities as well that you've got to face. You know, people can consume our product to harm, and that's something that does happen. So you've got to look at it with all of those things in mind. Um, you know, we can't we can't just say, well, you know, there's nothing to see here. Um, we're not doing anything. I think, you know, you talk about corporate social responsibility. I think there's a role to play in harm reduction by the sector uh, and how it approaches that. You know, is it is there too much um, of one thing? Or, you know, people raise issues around advertising and sponsorship, and I've got my own views on that, and I think that they're probably a little bit misguided in terms of where they're being pushed against. Um, you know, I think most people will know that it's about kind of grabbing that market share. You're looking for the consumer that's already within that space, you're kind of competing with each other. Not necessarily, you know, there's some of these points being made around um, aiming at, at young people, and I don't think anyone in the industry is ever trying to do that, or, or um, you know, there's no evil agenda, there's no um, behind things. So it does frustrate me when I hear that and, and people get branded that way. Um, but, you know, we've also got to know that, you know, there are there are risks in, in putting your product out there and, and the way you do it. So, look, I, I think... Being wary of those, uh, understanding where you're targeting things, not being too over the top, uh, being reasonable, and then looking at ways that you can potentially reduce harm in your own space is probably the best things you can do. One of the things that I often hear from brewers at the craft end of the market, you know, and many of whom have been drawn to the industry, not just from the creativity of the product, but the creativity of the marketing and the fun you can have with, with, with it is regulation you know um sucks the, sucks the fun and the creativity out of the industry um you know is is there a balance to that um you know that should we allow untrammeled creativity or is there a point at which creativity goes too far do you think yeah i mean i guess someone's definition of creativity versus what we've got in terms of regulation is, you know, there's stuff that's already there. We, we operate in an environment that we operate. Uh, and look, if we can push back for change for some things that we want to try and do, then absolutely. Uh, you just got to have a rationale for that. You've got to have an argument. Um, you know, if, as you talk about, you were talking about branding before and, and people wanting to go in certain directions and potentially being pushed back because it's, I don't know, too cartoony. And then there's the perception of aiming at children. You know, Well, if you've got an argument that it's not, or it's not being seen by younger people, or it's in, in an R18 space, you know, you've got a good position there. Um, but if you're marketing on digital channels that aren't age gated, for example, then maybe you need to look at how you're doing things. And I don't think people really are, but, um, you know, these are the arguments we see in response. So I don't think there's a, I don't personally think there's a massive reason why we shouldn't be able to be more creative, but we are realistically operating in an environment where there are already restrictions uh, and we've kind of got to work within those at the moment. We've recently seen, uh, you know, significant review of a significant review um, when it comes to pregnancy labelling. And that was something that the Brewers Association of New Zealand um, instigated. And that was the challenges on corrugated cardboard and the printing of the uh, three-colour um, pregnancy warning label. How complex, how much time is involved in something that, you know, again, to people in the industry that are probably positively disposed to that change um we just sort of think we'll just change the, the the logo but how much time was involved in just even getting that fairly common sense change through for sands yeah uh, it, it was a difficult one really to be honest uh, a lot more time 
than I had assumed when when taking when we kind of took on the lead of it, which is which is fine because it's an important thing and it's an important process to go through. Uh, you know, and taking a step back for, for anyone listening that might not quite know the changes that happened. Uh, obviously, there was the um, implementation of standardised pregnancy warning labels um, that were mandatory uh, on you know bottles, cans, and packaging. You know, when we did that application, when we um, submitted on that proposal that was put forward by Fazans, you know, we we said here are the issues we think might arise from it. One of them being is that the printing method that's used on corrugated cardboard uh, is a layered printing, um, it's flexible graphic printing, it's layered, it means that there's problems with alignment and this might happen. Um, you know, that, that wasn't really taken on board during that process when they when they went through uh, their decision making. Uh, we found ourselves at a position that everyone was mandated to do it and we started, you know, some of our members started printing these things on corrugated cardboard and lo and behold we saw the issue arise. And that's when we went back to Fazanz and said, uh, not so much I told you so, but really it was, it was hey look, you know, we raised this matter how do we go about fixing it? Um, and there is a statutory process they have because um, those decisions had been made and gazetted under law. So we had to go and put an application in. We had to pay a significant amount of money to make sure that application then jumped to the top of the list. Um, you can put an application in and it's free, but you'll be waiting a few years before they see it. Uh, and then not to mention putting together the information. And look, in terms of working with Fazans, they were great. They were really good to guide us as to where the information they would be requiring to make a decision based on the framework they have under their act. You know, they have a, they have a piece of legislation that guides them and how they operate, so they have to kind of do that. Um, so they were really good to work with. You know, with some points that was quite frustrating to reiterate some of the information we provided uh, and actually get that data out of industry was really hard because this was something new. Uh, you know, we're asking for numbers of or what percentage of packaging is corrugated cardboard on all beer in Australasia. Um, it's quite a difficult question to answer. And, and it was really important for them to understand that because they were going to go out to um, public consultation and there was definitely going to be people who were saying, actually, this is just industry trying to get away with not having to label colours on their packaging, which is not all the case. And we're, we're, we know that it was an issue. Um, it was going to mean that the labelling looked, you know, it wasn't, going to communicate the information clearly so you know this is why we did it so it took you know over a year and a half to get this right uh, and that's why it's taken that long and thankfully you know the the board at Fazan's you know saw the application made made sense of it there was mitigating facts uh, by slightly increasing the size of the the warning label and making it just black uh, and then um, the ministerial forum so that's Australian and New Zealand ministers getting together they look at the decision from the Fazan's board and then they go yep that makes sense so you know I think we Knowing that we did a good enough job and the concerns that were raised by those don't, don't agree with us uh, were not taken in, well, not fully taken into account as being this is a bad thing. Uh, I think we did a good job of it and I'm, I'm glad we got it across the line. But that was you know, a, a lengthy process for an amendment to a policy that itself took years to develop. Yeah, I mean, the pregnancy warning label initially, that took years. And you know it was really frustrating because we always acted in good faith, providing information initially. I mean, I've been in this role five years, and we were having that discussion at the start of it. And, and this is so it only comes into effect on the mm. first uh, of August this year. So, you know, these things take time. Uh, back end policy development from the first conversation to when consultation goes on, um, it is it is long, uh, and sometimes for the best because actually, you know, we've seen initial proposals put forward. Um, that can be extremely cumbersome 
until we understand what the viewpoint is from Safer Zand or, or some of those presenting those ideas forward. And we can say, actually, there's information out there, there's research out there. You know, we do have people in other markets that have been dealing with this as well. And here's some examples. Um, and they can do a really good kind of research review of all the stuff out there. And that stuff takes time. Uh, and they've got limited resources as well. Um, and, you know, and what we do is during that process, we go to our members and we sometimes have targeted groups. You know, I know that we work really closely with the Brewers Guild and we talk to them about, you know, hey, have you seen this issue or do you have any examples of this? Because I know that Fazans might want examples and they'll do the same with us. And I think it's important to have that relationship where uh, while there'll be some matters that we don't align on, actually when there are, we can have really good communication and, and make sure we put forward a joint voice. I got the sense, you know, again, I, I don't think anyone can argue that, you know, Fasti is a is isn't anything but terrible. Um, you know, the, it has huge cost to society, has you know huge cost to individuals. But I also got a feeling, uh, to some extent, that it was being used as a bit of a stalking horse by some of the anti-alcohol uh, bodies, and you know. Whenever the industry says, "Well, the costs involved in this, um, you know, are, are extensive," the response was, "Well, they'll just pass it on to their customers anyway." Given the alcohol, the sin taxes that are on alcohol to begin with, I just get the feeling that there is an element of if we can keep loading the industry up on costs, we will gradually drive down consumption. Um, you know, rather than educate people about positive things, we'll just try and make it so expensive that people can't buy it. Do you ever get the feeling that it is just, you know, trying to increase the cost base for the industry? Oh, look, I mean, you can never be sure of someone's intentions, but I think that given that one of the pushes from, you know, the, the anti kind of anti groups and uh, is increased price or, you know, increase the excise tax um, as well, those two things, you know, you know I wouldn't be surprised if, that was one of the rationale by, well, this is just a cost thing, so they should suck it up. Um, and we hear that. But I think mm. I, you know, I'm realistic that people like Fazans, when they hear that as an argument, aren't taking it on board. So, uh, you know, they, they're fairly balanced in their view. And otherwise, that we're just getting, you know, pushed back. And, and things like the pregnancy warning label, initial, you know, the initial proposal was supposed to, you know, was around having a health warning. Um, and then, you know, we thought that was a, kind of an interesting angle because it's actually focused on pregnancy. Uh, let's focus it there. We don't want this to be just a general health thing that all of a sudden any time a health issue comes up or, or, or a perceived one uh, just gets smacked on the label. Um, you know, there's, there's better ways to educate people around um, risk and, and harm, I think, than just labels. And Fazans acknowledges that, and it's part of their legislation and their policy around labelling is that every, this has to go hand in hand, whatever it is, whether it's energy labelling or um, pregnancy warning labelling or you know even the recycling labelling that goes on things. These need to come with education campaigns, and um, you know putting something on a label and, and, and someone looking at it at the last point before they consume it is not the answer. Uh, there's you know wider, wider societal changes that need to happen before a lot of this stuff can change. Um, and, you know, I think we should support that as a sector, um, but there's other ways to do it. I, I get this sense, particularly with the pregnancy label as well, that, you know, and, and with drinking generally, that there are much, much wider societal changes uh, or, or problems at play that, that, that often lead to problem drinking or, you know, particularly, um, you know, uh, drinking while pregnant that a label won't solve. 
Is there anything that the industry can do on entrenched social problems, um, or is it you know just running awareness campaigns itself through Drinkwise, for example? Yeah, I mean, Drinkwise is a great example in Australia, and, and we've got over here a similar organisation, probably a little bit different in structure called Cheers um, through a charity called The Tomorrow Project, um, which we're, which I'm involved in. And those awareness campaigns are good. Uh, education is extremely important. It's about targeting the right groups, probably getting in there a little bit younger than you'd expect, um, understanding where people can reduce, you know, early exposure to alcohol, harmful consumption, dealing with things like peer pressure. But there's, you know, there's wider drivers of people um, doing harmful things to themselves or, you know, acting in a harmful way that, that are in a society. So we've got to remember it's not necessarily the product at all time. Um, but, you know, we work with um, a group here in New Zealand called Life Education Trust who've taken on board a, a program that we brought over um, called Smashed, which we help fund into schools and we have, we have no design of it ourselves it's designed separately from the uk uh, by collingwood learning uh, we're very you know uh, it's important to us to be in terms of hands-off in terms of the content uh, we want it to be education uh, ed, you know education driven uh, by people who know what they're talking about in this space um, and we, we we support it we think it's great messaging and it goes into schools and speaks to year nine students so the first year of high school here uh, and basically tells them how to you know in situations how do you deal with alcohol if it's in front of you? Uh, how do you say no? How do you deal with peer pressure? Uh, what to do in those scenarios where it is present? And those are basic things that, you know, ideally is what parents should be teaching kids, uh, but it's not always the case, um, you know. And, and we would love to ramp that up and work with organisations like Life Education Trust, who are, who are pretty awesome, really. Uh, I've seen what they do. And, um, you know, they got to 20,000 students last year to see this education campaign, and it's fantastic. And, and if they could, you know, if we could bookend that with something later in high school or even in the home um, and helping, you know, parents be able to work with some of these ideas as well, I think that's that long-term education campaign that will work. And we're seeing younger people drinking less to harm now. Um, so what are we? How can we identify what those the, those drivers are? Amplify them, um, and then you know, and then also tweak them and work with you know, more at risk groups. You know, we know that there are other um, kind of lower socioeconomic groups that have higher rates of harm. So what you know, what are we doing in that space? So I think absolutely, there's a role for industry to play. Um, I you know, I'm always you know weary when people turn around and go, well, industry shouldn't be involved in that because they're actually, you know, there's some sort of subvert motive. Um, and I, you know, everyone I've met in the sector um, is very passionate about what they do. Um, the product they produce understands that there's harms involved and wants to minimise those. I, I just, I don't see any, you know, ulterior motives. So uh, it frustrates me a bit when I see that, but I think there is a role for us to play. On that note, it's interesting how many people working in the industry you know who have a vested interest in you know you would imagine drinking are you know very mindful about how much they consume um and you know it it, it, it i i don't know what to make of that um other than it, it would seem that they're very aware of their responsibilities by and large both to themselves and to others i think if you compare any product out there i mean whether it's a car or or a, or a fatty food or something like that you know no one wants People to overdo it. No one wants to drive to them to drive too fast. They want, you know, there's there's safety things in check, and that's about having. Uh, and we teach people how to drive, and we teach people how to drive safely. So, um, you know, any any product I guess can be misused in certain ways. It's just 
um, you know, we, we talk about alcohol, we talk about it slightly differently. Um, and I, I think we shouldn't always necessarily do that. We should just, we should accept the fact that, you know, we, most people can drink responsibly. 80% of the New Zealand population consumes alcohol and 80% of that popul- that group drinks to pretty low levels, in fact, you know, and that's that's great, that's awesome. So, you know, that's the majority um, and we need to respect that. That's a good thing. That said, you know, the, the brewing industry particularly and the, the, the Brewers Association focuses only on the brewing interests of the companies that are often uh, multi-beverage. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, no, look, yeah, that's right, we do. Um, and, we, yeah, we just focus on the beer sector, um, absolutely. But the brewing industry and, and the beer sector is going through some unique challenges of itself and they're, they're multi-generational challenges. You know, we're, we're seeing data that shows that alcohol consumption is going down, but then beer seems to be, um, you know, increasingly less favoured amongst those who are still consuming alcohol. It, 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 it's, a, it's a fairly bleak um, outlook on one hand, um, or, or is it an opportunity for the industry? I, I mean, looking at the data here, it's it's probably not quite as bad. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the Australian figures. I, I, what I see is that beer consumption, while it's declined generally, it has started to level out quite a bit. Um, we've seen more people changing what it is they drink. Uh, they're shifting from a lot of the mainstream products to either premium or craft, you know, however it is you define that. Uh, and then uh, looking at, uh, you know, where people can kind of see growth, I guess there's there's other areas. You know, we all know hazy beers are really popular. Um, the low carb sex is really fascinating. Um, that while it's not, it's increasing quite a lot. It's not taking from uh, other sectors. It's just moving beer drinkers into that space. So it's there's all the always little moves. And you know, in the last 10, 15 years, we've seen that move to craft. Obviously, has grown. Um, and while that growth has slowed, it. it it is still growing. So, you know, I don't think it's a bleak outlook. I think, you know, there are people drinking less and that will probably continue to happen slightly, but it's probably pretty level at the moment. You know, we definitely seen a growth in kind of RTDs and, um, you know, seltzers and spirits and things like that. Uh, whether that continues, you know, I'll be, I'm unsure. What is the path forward? You know, we, we have seen various individual breweries run campaigns to promote the idea of beer and confront some of the you know what what i regard as myths around beer but they've been unable to work together on 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 an industry-wide campaign and put aside their individual differences that makes it very very hard to build the sort of campaigns that wine has always you know wine has always been very good at marketing itself as an idea with individual brands underneath it. Brewing doesn't seem to have been able to, to do that. Yeah, I mean, I know in New Zealand, uh, the wine industry uh, is levied uh, and their their organisations have quite a lot of funds to, to put towards a lot of their campaigns. And, and I know that wine tourism is a massive thing. Um, and, I, and I have to tip my hat to the Brewers Guild in the last couple of years and, um, and someone you know well with Sabrina doing some great work um, getting some some work around beer tourism in New Zealand. I, I think there's an absolutely growth in that space. And I, I can only hope and, you know, we, we want to push this as well as much as we can is get help from those organisations like Tourism New Zealand um, 
who can really share that story internationally. I mean, you, you go to almost every town in NZ now and there's a, a small local brewery doing their thing and um, they're not looking to become massive or huge. They want to support their community. They want to service the bars and restaurants around them. Um, and there's a story to be told there, you know, because they're always they're often locals. Uh, they, they, they support their community in different ways and I think that's a beautiful thing, just like the wine industry does. And so while there hasn't yet to date been a massive concerted campaign either side of the ditch on in this space i think there could be uh and it's a it's a great story to tell some regions have done it really well i look at wellington uh and the craft beer capital team uh they, they tell a great story about the city and and the breweries within it um and it's just being able to do that on a larger scale but that takes time and resource uh, and you know and commitment from people um and that's always the difficult thing but that's and I, and I guess that's the hot seat I want to put you in as the Brewers Association. How do we get that buy-in from everybody um, to put aside their individual interests in pursuit of the larger interests of the entire industry in in that way? Oh, look, I don't necessarily think it's a difficult thing to do. It's it's just knowing that the commitment and time of all those people have to do it uh, and. I, I, you know, you'll ask everyone, they'll go, yeah, that's a great idea. Um, but, you know, we're, we're happy to support, but we're just, we're busy trying to navigate the environment, the operating environment. And it's, economically, it's, it's difficult to be a small business. Even, you know, a big, big brewery or medium-sized brewery are struggling in, in some different aspects. There's shortages of CO2 in New Zealand. Um, getting su- a supply of um, certain products is, is hugely costly. Um you know, uh, changes in um, distribution and there's all sorts of ways, always going on. I mean, and we're all, we're all facing a potential recession here. So, uh, if, you know, if the, the figures of GDP continue to be negative. So people are tightening their belts and d- discretionary spend is down and that impacts premium products um, such as craft and premium beer. And we see shifts in uh, the market when that does happen. And if you look back to post you know, 2007 and 8, when uh, after the GFC, you know, people were drinking differently, uh, and you'd see peaks and troughs around that uh, because of what was happening in the, in the economy. And it's really fascinating. Um, so, a lot of those people are focusing on those issues, and and that's where a lot of the resource that you know we we as a Brewers Association as well work on. You know, what is it? What can we do to help with the things around CO2? Um, you know, if there's a regulatory change coming down the pipeline, that's potentially going to be a negative impact or a costly one to industry. How can we work to make it the best thing possible? So, while there's an awesome story to be had, and the the focus is definitely there for 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 people what they want. Often it's that you get sidelined by the actual day-to-day operational issues of things, unfortunately. But I guess that's one of the huge challenges for business. And I'm, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. You know, the farmer who's putting new tires on his tractor rather than fertilizing his field. You know, if he can get more yield, the, 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 the fields are returning smaller yields, but he's focusing on how to better harvest that declining yield as opposed to uh, looking at how we can increase his yield. And I, I really get the sense that the brewing industry has long done that. It, it, it hasn't been very good at marketing the category as well as it markets individual brands within a declining market. Yeah, and I, I understand that and I, I can see that as well. I think there is, like, there's work to be done in the space. I think it's one of those things that we need to continue to talk about. I, I think, as I said, there's some real opportunity and, and branding beer as a as a destinational thing with tourism uh, and 
I think we should work towards that even more. Um, and yeah, I think that's the starting place, right? And when you can get that collaboration, then those people together making those things, we can start making other decisions around, well, what is it we're trying to, you know, what is the brand we're trying to be? What are we trying to sell? As whether it's a country or, or a product or a region. Going back to the to the point that the Brewers Association looks at the beer regulatory landscape and the beer environment, in, in the face of declining, you know, beer sales, we have seen a renewed interest in multi-beverage businesses. Does that make policy development as it relates to beer more challenging when you've got the same businesses involved in the RTD space or in the, um, you know, the, 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 the seltzer space, which have slightly different policy and regulatory you know, concerns attached than, than you know, the noble uh, beer category. And I mean that in, in noble in the sense of standalone um, beer category. D- does that muddy the regulatory or policy waters um, when you've got multi-beverage businesses? No, I think there's definitely a clear, I mean, in terms from our position that when we're going forward there's, and making our points, it's, it's beer, beer first, right? Uh, in terms of the actual regulatory environment for it, there are some slight differences in a few things, but actually a lot of the legislation here, for example, in New Zealand around alcohol, it's alcohol, it, it, is, it is all around alcohol, right? It, it doesn't really differentiate too much. Wine has a slight little carve out in terms of some of the licensing on cellar doors um, for production on site, which I think actually um, potentially beer could benefit from gaining. Uh, and, you know, if there, there's a potential review of the Sale and Supply of Alcohol Act over here, which just got pushed out post-election because uh, they dropped a whole lot of stuff they were looking at doing because they just didn't have the capacity, um, which we'll, we'll definitely advocate for. You know, there's a list of things that we would like to see changed in that licensing space. But really, a lot of it is multi-beverage. It is specific. You know, The rules around licensing don't really change when you've got beer, wine, or spirits. Uh, so it's not hugely hard to advocate for beer alone. Um, in the food standard space, yes, but we, you know, we just we talk about beer, and you know, a great example is uh, the consultation for mandatory um, calorie and kilojoule labelling just closed um, with Fizans, and they're going through that process at the moment of looking at what that will look like. Um, you know, and it was probably a good eighteen months ago that you know the trade associations for beer um, in New Zealand and Australia got together and and we we said went to Fazans and we said here are the things that we think would be beneficial for beer specifically this is what the beer position looks like um, we we'm sure you'll hear other things from other sectors but this is what and it was really good to get that kind of alignment on pretty much most things um, from one sector and that and that really helped inform Fazans's. Uh, proposal and we saw that when it came out with it we could see some of the stuff we put in and actually having that um, industry-wide agreement when we can and going forward with it early means that we often get policy wins not at the back at the end but at the start and and that's super important. You, you mentioned the different treatment between you know winery cellar doors and breweries and, and that's just a constant source of frustration to me that you know, and, and it's often put, oh, well, we, you know, wine is an agricultural industry. We need to protect the, the, the grape growers. Forgetting that New Zealand is, a, you know, is, is a massively innovative hop growing um, country um, and, you know, produces barley and malt 
as well. And yet breweries are just treated, they're seen differently and treated differently in, in that sense, it's exactly the same here. We've uh, in Queensland when they wanted to encourage the wine industry, the wine industry got all sorts of concessions that 25 years later the brewing industry still can't get. What is it, do you think, that just makes it so easy to differentiate between you know wine producers and breweries? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of things I think that they've done really well as a sector, uh, and you know, as a country who loves to export our product. Uh, uh, exports are extremely important to us and uh, I think if you speak to any politician here or kind of lawmaker they want to support export industries Uh, and because wine is such a big export that's part of the reason of of why they've got it unfortunately beer doesn't travel that well Um, and so you know we don't export much of it we export a little bit and I think that's awesome Uh, but it is you know it's it's never going to be as big as the wine sector but we need to change that mentality a bit because actually there's no reason why we can't have businesses in New Zealand flourish being supported by a domestic market and also people that are coming to visit our country especially when we've got a product that is actually great to travel around to uh, and visit and see and it's a destination in itself so uh, you know we need to change that narrative as a sector and when those concessions come up we need to be looking at well why is it that we can't have it what are our arguments and putting them forward in the best possible way I don't know if the concessions in the wine sector have here are necessarily as much uh, as they have in Australia versus beer, but I do know that there are some. Again, you you actually made the point that I was going to make when we were talking about uh, beer tourism, that wine does travel. Wine is a postcard from where the grapes were grown, but beer doesn't. And that makes it something that's worth traveling for. Um, You know, and uh, you don't have to be a... A, a wine growing region to to have a, you know, a brewery you know you, you can only have a wine region where you can go grow grapes but you can make beer locally in every market which to me makes it a much more regional economic development tool um, for a country like New Zealand than than wine is which is very you know regionally based um, but we don't seem to tell that story very well in our industry yeah, I, and that's 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 right. You know, it's an it's an urban and regional thing. You know, I live I live just outside of Wellington uh, in a wine growing town actually, and um, there's a brewery here, and it's um it's a great it's great. And people it's always get a little bit surprised if they come and visit. They go, oh, it's great to see a brewery here. It's like, well, you know, that's and there's a great story behind it. You know, some locals started up and who were who who knew that um you know it takes a lot of beer to make wine, uh, as they say, and so uh, I I think that story around breweries and being able to talk about their destination it's more about the story of the people where they came from and what they're trying to do within their within their um environment that actually that sells a little bit of the dream uh, and then there is a, a lot of actually cooperation that can be had between breweries to be able to achieve some of the things we get from that we see the wine seed to get because you know I, and I go back to Wellington again because that's where I'm from and, and that's where I've seen a lot of it happen is that when you talk about people, you know, there was always that discussion of the craft beer capital or, or things like that. And that's because, you know, the industry worked really hard to kind of say, well, this is where we are. We are from here um, and there's something special about it. And we've created a, a sector in Wellington around it, um, you know, not just the breweries, but the brew bars, the people who know about the product um, and that in itself became a destination. You know, it, people knew to come to Wellington to do you know do the craft beer thing. So 
Absolutely. It's about um, creating the story um, and your own, you know, your terroir as it is, isn't necessarily about the earth. It's about um, your place. Last question. I, I just uh, very conscious of the time, but the, the last question I know that you and the Brewers Guild um, have a good relationship and you and the Brewers Association and the IBA have a good relationship. The, the, the associations seem to have a better relationship than sometimes the breweries that make up that organisation do. Do you think there is too much of a focus on the differences between the various you know, brewing businesses at scale and not enough on the battles that we have in common? Oh look! I mean, it happens in every sector. Uh, you know, it's people are competing for a um, product in a market, so it's understandable. Um, you know, but I talk to a lot of brewers who, from all sorts of different businesses. You know, whether it's a very small local craft brewery, some of the the medium-sized guys that I know, are, you know, growing at quite a big scale, and even the you know the big you know the the big players out there, and they a lot of them know each other and they. They work together. They'll call each other up and discuss, you know, a technical issue. It's actually there's a lot of camaraderie in the sector. We've got to remember that. So yeah, of course, it's important to talk about our similarities, but there's always going to be differences, and that is fine. You can't expect everyone to agree. Uh, um, I just think you know there's there's room to cooperate where we can, and we should talk about those commonalities. Um, you know, make sure we can find them, uh, and if we can't, that's all right. That's okay. Um, you know, it's an adult. We can have an adult relationship about it all. But I would have thought, uh, you know, the the major brewers who are fierce competitors in the marketplace still work together through your association. Um, they're the same level. That's the same level of competition. You know, maybe the scale is different, but there's still competition between the big brewers and the small brewers as there is between the big brewers themselves. Yeah, that's right. And and it is really interesting being in the room with some of those massive competitors that are looking for market share, you know. Uh, but you know, we don't, obviously we can't talk about that. Um, there's laws against it, and um, <laughs> and, and so it, what we focus is on is actually what's the environment. Where where can we put our focus and, and say uh, collectively where can we uh, emphasise agree, agreed positions? Whether it's um, pushing back on very heavy excise increases or uh, how changes in certain levies are going to look because in New Zealand. Um, there's some changes going on in the health sector and there's a health promotion levy that's going to potentially change. Um, so it's about understanding that and going, yeah, we, we agree here. While we're trying to cut each other's lunch out there and and, st- and get you know um, fridge space or um, certain taps or whatever it is, um, I think you know that we can just not have those conversations and we can focus on actually is the operating environment uh, fair and reasonable and then let's go and try and achieve some, some wins there. And at the end of the day, uh, we can have a beer. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, you know, I, I've seen some some pretty staunch um, competitors sitting down together and and, and cheersing each other's product, and um, uh, probably in private. But you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing that we can all get along at the end of the day because look at the, you know people want to provide a good product out there um, to to consumers who actually want it, and there's a range of tastes and desires for what what type of beer people want. So. Um, and that we can see that when we look at the data. So it's, um, it's really interesting. Dylan Firth, thank you for your time and for this great conversation. Great. Thanks, Matt. And that was Dylan Firth. If you like this conversation and would like to make sure that we can continue to deliver podcasts like this one, you can help us out. If you're a business that wants to reach professional brewers and brewery owners, we think that we're the most targeted way to do that 
we have the conversations that the industry listens to and they can hear your message as well. Shoot through an email to sam at brewsnews.com.au to find out how you can advertise. There are other ways you can support us. We say them each week. If you're a listener, you can sponsor the show. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or you can just email us at producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts or join us in the Radio Brews News Facebook group and join the conversation there. We'll be back this Friday with Brews News Week, diving deeply into the news of the week. We look forward to joining you then. Thank you.